Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. Hold on to your pants, it's time for a special episode. Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for co-op news and playthroughs. Today we're doing a discussion, our first time. I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. What's up, buddy? Is it really our first time? I feel like we've done something like this before, haven't we? Well, this is, I, I should have said a design journal, where we talk about what we've done in the past and what we're still working on. And actually, we have some live feedback that we got from last night that I haven't discussed with Mike, so you may even get a, some insights into our process and watch Mike shoot me down a lot. That, that, that does happen sometimes. But, you know, goes both ways. <laughs> it, it certainly does. Yes, yes. But that's the fun part. And, you know, people are always like, well, what's it like working in a partnership and things like that? And I feel like this will be the most real we've ever done it. So uh, we yeah. are talking about Dark Dealings. Which Alive is... somehow. Yes. So, I, I mean, I want to get into all of that. Uh, do we want to talk about what we've been playing? Do you like our normal intro stuff? Oh, yeah, Sure. Well, uh, first, uh, let's thank the patrons then. So if you don't know, we've got a Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash one stop. We have early access to the videos on the main channel and also exclusive videos. It's like close to 30 of them at this point. I do uh, two a month. And you, you also help us to pay for equipment and do new things. Like Peter started uh, filming live videos uh, for the first time. He did some Marvel Champion videos on the main channel. So, uh, yeah. We really appreciate all our patrons, of course, and just want to thank a few of them specifically this week. I'm going to thank Andre, Phil Dean, Will Waters, Istvan Bassa, and Sean O'Grady. Andre, Phil Dean, Will Waters, Istvan Bassa, and Sean O'Grady. Thanks to you all. Thanks to all our amazing patrons. And thanks to everybody who just subscribes to either of the channels or who listens to the podcast uh, or leaves a review for the podcast on Apple or wherever you're listening. All that stuff helps. Uh, yeah, we couldn't do it without y'all. And we've also started getting some super chats lately. And so on any stream I'm doing where there's a super chat, I, I take requests. So if you want me to sing certain things, or uh, if, if you want me to do something stupid in the game, or like, <laughs> uh, I don't uh, know. I mean, don't, don't you do stupid things in the game, whether they uh, super chat at you or not, Peter? Well, Maybe if they want me to do something smart in the game, they'll super chat at me. That's it, that's it. <laughs> if, if they want me to not be chaos incarnate, they can <laughs> super chat like, you're an idiot, do this. So we have started getting some super chats for that as well lately. And thank you for everybody who's done that as well. Yeah, so what we've been playing recently, I've been doing a lot of family games. I've gotten like uh, weirdly a lot of narrative games kind of all at once. So uh, Lands of Galzir, which is a solo or co-op or competitive, but I've, I've, I've never played it competitively. Sort of like narrative, like sandbox adventure. You can kind of go wherever you want and do whatever you want. Uh, that delivered recently. I've been playing that with my kids. Also, we got Exit, like the, the escape room uh, sort of thing, the Exit games from Cosmos. Um, they did a Exit uh, advent calendar <laughs> and sent uh, my family a uh, review copy. So we've been doing a one riddle. It's like each of the, you know, like how advent calendars will have like doors yeah. and like little prizes. So is it like a each. word of the day type thing where you're like, well, well it's, it's like, like a, riddle of the day. It's, it's an exit riddle of the day, you know, so each but one is has it, some cards in there. And, is it like five minutes or is it like 30 minutes per riddle? Like, like, no, no, no. It's, uh, yeah, I'd say like five is probably the average at this point. So we're, we're, we're sort of making it a Thanksgiving advent calendar instead of Christmas. So I can get a <laughs> review out like before December. And, uh, yeah, so we're doing, like, one to two a day. The kids are into it sometimes. There's a lot of manipulatives. Like, they still have a lot of things you're, like, cutting and putting together and that kind of stuff. 
Uh, they got like a little story. You're trying to save Christmas and find Santa's golden book. I don't know, <laughs> but the riddles are pretty fun and the family's enjoying it. So yeah, th- those are a couple of the things I've been playing and uh, just uh, kind of a throwback one. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, continually get my oldest son to play more uh, solo games or solo games with me. So he's played uh warp's edge a few times. I've been playing rove a bit, uh, two of my favorite uh, recent, you know, in the last few years, uh, solo games. But how about you, Peter? What have you been playing? I mean, you know what I've been playing. I've been playing a crap ton of Marvel Champions. That's what I've been playing. <laughs> um, so the three new packs are out. Actually, officially tomorrow they're out. But we got an early review copy. For the first time, Fantasy Flight uh, sent us an uh, early review copy. We've gotten packs before, but they've been after release. This is the first time we got a couple weeks early. And the, the two new heroes are super fun. Storm and Wolverine. I think they learned their lesson from Hulk. It's like a hero everybody loves, and then they played him, and it's like garbage. They did not do that for Wolverine and Storm. They made their decks like super strong right out of the pack, uh, super fun to play. Uh, and there's a new scenario pack, uh, Mojo Mania, which, do you know anything about Mojo? Like, do you know anything about... Yeah, Mojo World, he like watches people on all his TVs and like controls them, and I think like Spiral works with him. That, that's about as much as I got. Yep. Yep. Well, those are the two people you're fighting, uh, as oh, well, well there you go. <laughs> as well as you get put in an arena and you fight this like giant like gladiator battle as well. But the interesting thing is, Marvel Champions has always done modular packs, but each modular pack in this set is a different genre of TV show. So they've like oh, that's fine. So they've like horror, sci-fi, comedy, uh, or sitcoms. I, I forget what they all are, but they all do something very specific within that pack that like has a little to do with the theme of it. And they, and they do a lot of punny stuff as well. So this is definitely a more lighthearted one. But it's also the first scenario pack that's not like this full-blown giant box that has heroes in it and everything else. So they have a bunch of uh, modulars, and they have three scenarios that are linked together in a short campaign. Um, oh. Which is kind so of So it's fun. more than Wrecking Crew. Yes. But still less than like Red Skull and Guardians and all that stuff, like all the campaigns. Correct. And they're fun and shorter scenarios from what I've found mm. also so far. You know, for better or for worse, people like Jerry, I know, think the game goes too long. So for people like that, I think that'll be a, a good, you know, second or third purchase after the core box. I think it adds a lot. If, by, if, by the way, let, let's pause for a second. I, yeah. I, uh, I have the stream up at the same time as we're recording, except for those who are watching instead of listening. That's a lot of facial hair, Peter. What's going on, man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this started, I was on vacation three weekends ago, I guess, at this point. And so I just didn't even bring a razor with me when we went. The kids were off school Friday and Monday. We went up Thursday, like right after school. We went to Universal Friday, Saturday, Sunday, okay. Monday. Flew back Monday night, got in at midnight. Went to work the next day. Then I worked with my boss the following two days. So I was like exhausted. And Tuesday was rough too because we had dog training right after work Mm -hmm. and then right into Halloween, like pre-Halloween festivities. So bottom line is I didn't shave while I was away. And Linda's like, oh, why don't you just do like no shave November? I'm like, all right, fine. So I've kind of been growing it for almost three weeks now. So yes, I am facial hairy. You were facial hairy. (laughs) Yes. And the Hendersons. By the way, speaking of uh, Fantasy Flight sending us uh, review copies, I-, I didn't tell you, but I made a faux pas. Uh, so people might have seen that I did a uh, play of the first scenario of the newest Arkham campaign, which is uh, the Scarlet Keys, which is great so far. Like, really enjoying it. You might like this one, Peter. It's uh, it's kind of more like Eldritch Horror. You're, like, uh, gallivanting around the world, and you actually have, like, a map, and you choose where you go. 
Okay. If you go to like a location earlier or later, it'll change up things in the scenario. So it kind of has like some cool like replay choices there. But yeah, <laughs> I, I posted my video on like, you know, whatever day of the week it was, let's say it was a Friday. And my main contact was like, hey, thanks for doing that. Like on Saturday. And then like on Tuesday, I get a, a email from somebody else from Fantasy Flight. They're like, hey, so uh, yeah, just make sure you don't post anything for Scarlet Keys until the, you know, official like day that we're allowed to share things, which is like next Tuesday. And I'm like, I... Oh, already my. made a video <laughs> they were cool about it because like clearly my one contact hadn't said anything about a like media what's what's the word i'm forgetting not blockade uh i know what you're thinking yeah like a you know like the release date or whatever yeah so so th- they didn't get mad they were like yeah just don't do anything else for a while <laughs> like don't do another video yet and i was like all right i got you <laughs> yeah it's funny because i was so nervous because this was the first time they sent us that i asked like right away when can i start posting videos they're like oh you could do it as early as saturday or friday morning and this was like thursday night when they posted that and i'm like okay of course the packs didn't come for another like seven days after that like till the following wednesday <laughs> So that content, yeah, I mean, I did a whole lot to get ready for that because it was my first time recording stuff live, but also I was on vacation or I was on vacation or work. No, I was on a work trip leaving the next morning. So literally I filmed videos all night till like two in the morning and I had like an 8 a.m. flight the next morning, which was fine. I got to sleep on the plane. I certainly did that the entire way. No question about it. I am a, uh, are you, are you a plane sleeper or are you one that's like, I mean, I don't go on, I haven't been on a plane in, at least since my children were born. Oh, wow. Okay. So I, yeah. I mean, remember, I don't like really travel for work. That's not <laughs> what teachers do. So I, uh, yeah, I don't think I've been on a plane in at least 10 years, 11 years. Although I will say there was an elementary and middle school conference at the Gaylord in Orlando. There are tons of conferences. I don't do that crap. Yeah. (laughs) It was like a beautiful, nice hotel. Like they were taking over like the entire thing. I wasn't staying there. Our conference was there. Well, the medical conference I was working was there. I was not staying at that hotel. Um, My hotel had a pool filled with no water and uh, lots of mold and stuff and uh, a a shower that leaked the entire night. And uh, Linda's like, don't put anything on the floor. Just like, because she was afraid of bed bugs. (laughs) Like She's like. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, yeah, that was, that was the thing. Um, that's how Peter likes to travel. That's how I roll. Survival baby. mode. You know, he's, he's like playing a little game of Robinson Crusoe with his own life. <laughs> well, to be fair. All right. So there is a, a, a story that comes out of this. Actually, it's a little bit funny, I think. Uh, so they say my hotel is one mile from the conference center. So I was like, okay, no problem. I will. I will just, I'll, I'll take this hotel. It's like 150 bucks a night or something. I should have known something's wrong in this, like Orlando, like a hotel for 150 bucks a night. <laughs> I should have figured it out from the price, but I'm like, it's only a mile. I'm not going to stay there very long. I'll be at the conference most of the time. It's fine. Like I'm here to work. I'm not here to like chill out in my room. So I go and it was a mile the way crows fly, <laughs> but it was over two miles not the way crows fly. So I was there pretty early. We it was had, a mile over a ravine and a river. Uh, it, it was over a river slash swamp. <laughs> Absolutely. So I literally jumped a fence at the hotel. Like, I jumped this fence because I'm like, I could see the co- convention center. So I'm like, all right. So I jumped this fence. And then I'm like, oh, this is not an area I want to be because there's alligators in, in Florida. <laughs> I didn't see any alligators there, but all I saw was this like swampland not far from where I was. And I'm like, 
I probably don't want to wade through that <laughs> to try to, first of all, I'd be all wet by the time I get there. So it turns you out. You should have called Paul Hogan, man. He would have taken care of you. Yeah. So, it, yeah, right. <laughs> Crocodile Dundee. Uh, I almost thought you were talking about Paul Grogan. I'm like, what's he going to do? Write some <laughs> rules about it? I mean, <laughs> either way, either way. You know, he, he, he can he get British at the, the croc alligators until they leave him alone. <laughs> by the way, Ryan pointed out the word you were looking for was embargo. Yes. Review embargo. Thank you. Jeez. Yes. <laughs> so I ended up walking. There was two miles. I ended up walking back two miles. And then that night, because it, it's it's hot in Florida, and I was pretty sweaty by the time that was done. So I decided to Uber there to like work the conference for the evening. And then I ended up walking back every night. So that first day I did like 22 miles or something ridiculous between walking through the airport and walking back and forth to this uh, convention center. It was... Uh, it was a lot. I, I, I could have walked like an actual like decent distance to get somewhere, not just back and forth to my crappy hotel. Wow. Oh no, it was twenty right. twenty three thousand steps. That's what it was. It was like thirteen or fourteen miles. It wasn't twenty three miles. That's right. Twenty three miles sounded like a lot. That's like it, it is a lot. A marathon, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean it was still it was still legitimately thirteen or fourteen miles. So it was a lot. Hey, uh, Ryan just said that they live uh, near Orlando. You should have uh, gotten the carpool going. Yeah, I've actually been there twice because my conference was there and we went to visit Universal. So I've been there twice and I think we're going back in February because that's usually where our actual company con- conference is, not just one I'm working. So I'll probably be back there again. <laughs> my second home. That's awesome, Manuel. Glad, glad you're safe. Glad no alligators, you know, eight pieces of you that are important to you. Yes, that's that's very good. Yeah, after I jumped the fence and saw the swamp, I'm like, yeah, I should go a different way. <laughs> and so I just found the street way. But yeah, Google Maps was no helpful at all. Like, they're like, forget it. Like, we'll give you a car way to get there. We'll give you a bicycle way to get there. But nobody walks. Well, thanks for that, Google Maps. <laughs> Appreciate that. But yeah, so back to the main topic. First of all, to give a little context in case, I, I guess some people might not know, uh, Peter and I are game designers sometimes. I wouldn't say we're like prolific or doing it all the time, but it's certainly a hobby for us. In terms of published games, we uh, our first one was Salvation Road, which was uh, through Van Ryder, who does uh, Final Girl and Hostage Negotiator and other ones like that. Then we did the one we're going to talk about uh, today, which is Dark Dealings, which uh, was originally with Nevermore Games, which is, does not exist anymore. <laughs> and then Greater Than Games got it, and we didn't know what was going on. <laughs> Did literally nothing with it. Yes, yeah, so like we thought there were like no copies. We're like, oh, but maybe it all sold out. Maybe that's why we haven't heard anything. So then, uh, Greater Than Games had combined with Dice Hate Me Games for a while, and now I guess they split again. I don't know all the details there. You probably know more than I do, Peter. But uh, Dice Hate Me came away from the split with uh, Dark Dealings, who are the third company to own it now. And they were like, yeah, we have, how many copies is it, Peter? It was like 963 <laughs> copies or something. I'm like, what? Yeah, that, 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 that Greater Than Games was, I guess, just paying for warehouse space for <laughs> and never doing anything with. Yeah. So, I mean, we've so, been yeah, telling so, uh, people it's been sold out for years because that was yeah. the impression. I mean, they literally never, they sold it. Like, it's so funny. Every time this game goes up for sale, whether it's on Miniature Market or Cool Stuff or wherever, like, it would sell out right away. And I'm like, oh, I guess they're out of copies because honestly, the first print run of Dark Dealings, they were out of copies. They only printed like 200 extra copies or something. And it literally sold out within like a month. And so we did a second Kickstarter uh, with an expansion. And then we just assumed they did the same thing. They didn't print that many copies. And so we're like, all right, whatever. 
And then they're like, oh, yeah, Greater Than Games acquired the rights. We're like, okay, who cares? And then, like, 20 of them went up somewhere and, like, sold out within a week. And we're like, okay, I guess they had 20 copies left or whatever. We never got paid for that, by the way. I'm pretty (laughs) sure we never got paid for that. Now, then Dice Hate Me took it over. And I'm like, so I I do know Chris Kirkman pretty well, who's the owner of Dice Hate Me Games. And so I called him. I'm like, so what's going on? So you have Dark Dealings. Like, do you have any copies of it? He's like, oh, yeah, there's like 960 of them. I'm like, what? <laughs> just, I mean, it was total shock. We're like, what is going on here? There have been 960 copies of this game that sells out every time it hits retail, just sitting around. It's so random. And he had like 600 copies of the expansion or something like that as well. Yeah, the, the, the fun of dealing with uh, publishers, <laughs> all the different fun things that could happen. But yeah, so so uh, I think in the in the video description and the podcast when that posts as well, we have the link. If you want to own it, we'll be talking about the game, so you'll kind of get to hear what it's about. Uh, since then, we had a long break of, of several years. Where uh, we did we this. Designed, <laughs> we designed Mega Man Adventures, yep. which is apparently in Barnes & Noble, but not delivered to pre-order people yet not delivered to us yet yeah <laughs> no we don't have a copy games and they've, but i've heard it's sh- like it has like pre-orders have shipped like people in like australia and other places so it's like just u.s pre-orders and like any potential u.s retail copies so yeah we, we've always had fun uh but hey uh for those who haven't heard peter and i have designed uh several new games and we're going to be self-publishing one of them what are we saying now, Peter? Maybe like around the turn of the year, like around January, maybe? Uh, I think a little later in the year, if I had to guess, February or March. Um, okay. But yeah, so so it'll be on probably Kickstarter. Yep. So yeah, so we will have a uh, new game, some more to come about that. And this time we'll be publishing ourselves. Maybe we can get angry at ourselves for not communicating with us and sitting on <laughs> 900 copies of the game. Well, I mean, <laughs> this is the reason we are self-publishing, right? Like we've just had so many of these stories. And I know this isn't everybody's experience. Look, I am I am 100% positive that, um, oh, I can't even think of her name right now. It just jumped out of my mind. Wingspan. Oh, uh, Elizabeth Hargrave. Yeah, Elizabeth Hargrave. I'm sure her game design journey has been very different than ours. <laughs> like, no question in my mind about that. But yeah, I mean, talking to, you know, we're not big designers by any stretch, clearly. But talking to like a lot of my other friends who are, you know, friends in the business who are like small designers just trying to get by who have maybe sold like one or two games like us. It seems to be very common. A lot of board game companies, for better or worse, especially the smaller ones that are just like barely making ends meet, just seem to, you know, it's often like one person or two people running the entire thing, like all the communication and all the like product creation and all the, all the like management. And yeah, I just think it's a, it's a tough way. So we'll, we'll see how we deal with it, right? You know, it's been the mostly easy side of things so far with Peter and I and uh, this guy, Steve, we're working with. So we'll see how it goes. But uh, Dark Dealings. So Peter had yeah. a great idea. It was Peter's idea. This is a, for those who don't know, it's a one to six player competitive game. Yes. That's right, everybody. <laughs> Once upon a time, Peter and I designed a competitive game. <laughs> well, we had... The been... only one. The, no, no, the no. Only no. One we just... Last Bastion, which was our name way before it got taken by like two other well, people at this point. That never came out. And even that got changed to a cooperative game eventually. Well, yes, <laughs> but I'm saying that was originally supposed to be a competitive game as well. So we're still designing competitive stuff back at this point. Yes. But the idea was originally yours. I, I had the theme idea. You you definitely did all the mechanics stuff. Yeah. So uh, do you, should I talk a little bit about like how the game came about? Like yeah, part of the design diary absolutely. the new stuff? So I've told this story before, I think, on one of our podcasts or something. So sorry for people who have listened and, and heard it. But yes, yeah, so I uh, originally 
So I'm usually inspired by video games and movies. Uh, you can see that like with the Mega Man Adventures game or Salvation Road is heavily inspired by Mad Max, specifically Road Warrior. So for Dark Dealings, I was playing a lot of, what's the, the house bidding game that we like, Peter? The micro one? The oh, uh, For Sale. Yeah, For Sale. So so I was heavily inspired by For Sale. Like you, if you play Dark Dealings or watch, I have a solo play video on the main channel. If you watch that, you'll see like the For Sale influences. But I was inspired by that and I wanted to make a fighting game but with like some for sale-ish kind of bidding. And actually, I'm not Space sure if the for sale stuff was in there originally. But yeah, so I, I was thinking like, it originally was uh, it was like space bases. Like you were, you were defend. No, 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 sorry. First it was Car Wars. It was Car Wars first. Oh, I don't even remember that. I remember Space yeah, Marines well, well, you, where yeah, aliens you, were you attacking. Came, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, you came in later. Like, like I went through several iterations. This is how Peter and I usually do things. Like one of us will muck about with something until we get something semi-playable. And only then will we show it to the other person and kind of get them to tell us it's terrible. Uh, I mean, we do talk so, about yeah, it uh, in, in the in the concepting yeah, yeah. stages for sure. We no, do totally, totally. some discussion, but yeah, one person's mocking it up and bringing it to the table for sure. Yeah, so I was inspired by Car Wars, which if you don't know is an old Steve Jackson uh, sort of like you know ta- almost like tabletop miniatures a little bit, like you're driving around but you build these cars. So I was like, oh, it'd be cool if you had like a game where you like put parts on your car and then you would like fight each other. And I sort of like created this like little cards, a fighting system where like the ammo was shown by rotating cards. I feel like a lot of games do that kind of thing now, but I hadn't seen it much when I was making this. No, it wasn't um, very common back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's so, like you would have a machine gun with like four rounds of ammo and you would rotate it like it would show the ammo like ticking down. So that was like kind of the basic idea. And um, like you had like lasers and missiles. And at some point I didn't like the car like... Oh, wait, you know what? I'm, I'm getting my stories a little bit mixed up. Yeah, because that I was realize. spare parts you're thinking of. That is spare parts. No, no, this was an alien-themed you're game. You're right. It was an alien. It was totally, dang it. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, everybody. Based uh, on aliens. Of too many games. Yes. Yeah, we have a different, uh, if if our first self-publishing game goes well, we have another one that's a dungeon crawler that was the other stories. That's another story for another time. But yes, it was defending your uh, your base from aliens. Yes. You're, so you were like doing like gun emplacements, and that's where the rotating combat came in. So the rotating combat was a pretty early thing. I got that to work. I remember, Peter, I made like a physical prototype and played it with my wife and our roommate at the time. And yeah, like we were like, hey, this is kind of fun. Like it sort of worked, you know. So then Peter and I worked on it. And at some point, Peter was like, hey, you know, sci-fi doesn't sell as well. No, no, no. That wasn't it. Like, it was oh. it, it was um, we would. So so the concept of the game was you would just get attacked by waves and waves of aliens until they overcame you and killed you. Yes. W- was the theme. And I said, huh. You know, we're dying every game. That's not a very uplifting story. Why don't we be the bad guys and the heroes win every game? Um, So if you're looking, if you're on the YouTube stream channel, you see what one of the cards, one of our defensive cards looks like, where you rotate it to different sides and they have numbers on each side. And if you're not on the stream channel, I'm sure you could look up a picture of Dark Dealings anywhere on the internets, and that will be quite obvious what we're talking about with the uh, with the rotating cards. But yeah, so yeah, and that's where the theme came about was I was like, why don't we be evil and be attacked by heroes? <laughs> and, and I'm a fan of that because I used to play the Dungeon Keeper series of uh, computer games. And then I, I like Dungeon Lords by Vlada Travadol. So like that was already kind of in our wheelhouse theme wise. So yeah, so we uh, there's a convention called Unpub or the Unpublished Game Convention. That's uh, like usually around Baltimore that we've gone to many years. And... We had sort of like, so 
the the fighting thing pretty much never changed from that initial space design. Like that that initial thing that I played with my family and kind of figured out, like pretty much stayed the same with some tweaks. What changed drastically was like how you got the weapons to kill people. Or in this case, it was like <clears throat> monsters and magic spells you would fight the heroes with and how you got the heroes. Oh God. Do you remember this unpub Peter? Like how Oh yeah, no. I totally remember the nights were and all the printing. Yeah. Because we're showing so we, we're showing two games at once. And so yeah. I wasn't in a lot of the playtests, but you want to talk about for sale. We basically had copied that. We had coins where you were buying the stuff uh, or yes. bidding on it and then using it to bid on the other stuff. So it was almost identical to for sale at that point. Yeah, so the first half. So for sale is also a two half game because Dark Dealing is kind of like a two half game where the first half you're bidding on cards and then you use those cards to like basically draft things to like see who gets the most money. So in Dark Dealings, in the original, or in that version, you were bidding on the heroes that were going to... Or no, you were bidding on the defense. We were bidding on something. I forget you're which. bidding on the defenses. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, no, no. No, you're or, right. You were bidding on the heroes and then using the heroes to bid on the defenses. Because the maybe, heroes... I don't, the heroes were always numbered 1 to 54. And the defenses didn't used to have values. So you'd bid on the hero. And the higher num- the number the hero is, the harder it was to beat you. Or, or the harder it is to beat. Or to defeat them, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then for the second half, you put the cards face down, just like for sale. Like So you saw a set of defenses. You put cards face down to determine which defense, who got to draft their defense first, based on the value. So the harder hero, the harder your hero is. But no, no, no. So even even what you're talking about, Peter, was later after that unpub. Was it? Because it, it was reversed in some way. So so to, to cut the story short, basically I did some play testing with people. We were trying to like pitch the game to Nevermore Games at the time. And the big change that came out of those play, and these were other designers we were friends with. So we weren't just like random people. So they had like really I mean, great Richard Lonius was one of the big ones. No, but he he wasn't the one who helped me with this. It was uh, who's our friend that designed the Santa's Workshop game? Keith Ferguson. Yeah, yeah, I think it was Keith and one other person. I'm forgetting. But you said you said Lonnie escaped, made this statement that made the biggest change, which was why are you using money? Why don't you just draft the cards or something like that? L- Lonnie said drafting, so Lonnie said cut the money, and then keith and other person who's an awesome person i'm sure and i feel bad forgetting said why don't you switch it they were the ones who had the idea of why don't you use the heroes to bid for the defenses okay so we cut the money and it became like sort of a draft so the actual final game by the way is you you pass heroes around and draft them into your hand so you're drafting the things that are trying to kill you but the higher value here that are tougher to defeat give you better bidding power to get stronger defenses to defeat them. And then you go into that combat phase, which is all simultaneous, and you see who can survive the longest, basically. But yeah, so so that's kind of like how the game came about. We, of course, uh, even though we were doing a competitive game, I was already like a solo gamer from way back, so we wanted to do a solo mode. Although we actually made a better solo mode for the second printing of the game. So there's like well, two solo modes We had modes other out changes. Now. So, so let's talk about... So we had a solo mode with the first one. I don't, was that in the rules or no? Did we just put post that the on The solo mode was in the rules. No, the, the, the original solo mode was in the rules of the original printing, yes. Okay. So then we went on Kickstarter. It made more money than most games were making back then, especially because it was like a $20 game. Like no $20 games were doing what it did. It made like 91000 something like that. Yeah. We were super excited, obviously. And so then we went back and he's like, hey, I want you to design an expansion. And we are already, because this was the day of like 
millions of stretch goals. So we designed like a million like mini expansions, which I don't think they're not available at this point. I do have some copies of, I probably got 20 to 40 copies. So maybe we end up giving those away sometime. (laughs) Like if we run into people at conventions or whatever else. Yeah. yeah. Because I do have a bunch of those mini expansions. But bottom line was we went back to the drawing board and we had gotten feedback. So the original game had two things that people hated. Let's be quite honest about this. People hated memory and we had memory in it because we wanted it to be exciting where you... I'm not going to go into too much, but you had to order things in a certain way. Like you you ordered as you were doing your your drafting. They went in in a certain order. And like if you had a better memory, you'd remember what was coming up. But our thought was nobody's ever going to memorize this. We didn't want them to. We wanted it to be exciting as they went through this deck and almost like it was a new reveal for them. It's like, oh, man, I forgot I had this guy. And like now he's killing me. So that was one aspect that we had in there. And the second aspect we had in there was player elimination. Yep. Where... Which, yeah, just young designers. <laughs> Both those things we look at now, we're like, oh man, why we do that? But uh, you, you, you design more and more and you learn things. <laughs> yeah, so when we did the second edition, when we made the expansion, we asked if we could make changes to the rule book, and we did. Not drastic ones, but the big one was we took out the player elimination. I think we even told people they can look back through their cards at any point. Yes, yes. So we yes. got rid of so, both so, elements. Yeah, both things became harder variants, which, by the way, any game designers watching, that's what we always recommend. Like, start... I know people say they want solo games that are impossible to beat, but people also like winning sometimes and also like to see that they can, like, modify the difficulty. So start with an easier version of your game and then give, like, variants to make it harder. It's just... We've done a whole podcast on this before, but it's a major, like, optics shift if you say like, hey, here's the basic game and now you can add on baby mode because you're a big baby, the people are never going to use those variants right. and they're going to feel like that if they do. But if you're like, here's normal difficulty or here's introductory difficulty, which is a great way to do it because that way they know what they're in for. And when you're ready, add on these other things. That's a much more palatable thing, I think, for like hardcore gamers. But yeah, so, so we added a bunch of stuff on. But okay, so long story short, Suddenly we, you know, just in the last like month or two, we find out that there's, you know, almost a thousand copies of a game that we thought was completely sold out. So Peter had the great idea. I had made a really kludgy, just thrown together co-op variant on BGG. It's still there if you want to go look at it. So, so I was like, I wonder if you can make this game a cooperative game. And it's, it's not great. <laughs> it's nothing special. I spent like maybe a day making it. But Peter was like, hey, why don't we make a new co-op variant? to post around, maybe like make a video over something at some point. And so like kind of celebrate the game being available again and like let people find out about it again. So that's what we're going to kind of talk through for the, uh, the remainder of the podcast. Just like kind of the little design process we've been through. So this is uh, different than designing a game from scratch. This is the process of taking an existing design and I wouldn't even call it an expansion because this is not going to require anything new to play the game. No, it's like just the of, base game. Yeah. So where'd we start, Peter? We had my original idea. So again, just to, desi- to describe the game, how it usually goes in basic terms. Phase one, you draft heroes. You're passing heroes around. These are the people that can kill you. They got higher values, means they're tougher, but they're also more valuable for the next phase where you get defenses. So you're drafting heroes. Kind of like then, Seven Wonder style. You, you get a card hand of seven, yep. you keep one, you pass six to the left, you keep one of those six, yeah, and pass five, and so on. Yeah, so you you're seeing, seven. like, all the heroes that are available pretty quickly and getting right. a sense for, like, what type are out there. And the heroes, by the way, have different defense values, they have different special powers, and they're vulnerable to one, two, or three of these different attack types. 
So like some heroes can only be killed by a trap and some, you know, can be killed by any, uh, any of the defenses. And then the second phase, you use the hero. So you lay out defenses and you each secretly bid a hero. You don't know what it is. You flip them all up. Highest value gets to pick the defense first. So you're getting like the defenses. So you're building a little collection of defenses to fight the heroes you have drafted. <laughs> defenses in the three types and wilds. And then finally, you go into the combat where you're attacking with these defenses. You're rotating them to show how many times you can use them. Some are single use. Some are like three or four use. They get trashed once they run out of uses. And whoever can defeat the most heroes wins. It's kind of like the core competitive. Now that I think back, the big thing that we changed from for sale is we drafted two things at a time. So actually, you started with a handle like seven, but you'd keep two. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we just wanted to speed it up. Like, it was really as simple as that. (laughs) And then for the second round, it was the same thing. So if I played the 54 and 53 heroes, which are the highest two values, I would draft first and second. That's so right. It could be yes. any order. I could draft first and last. I could draft the two middle. I, you know, depending on how many players, like you literally, it's like, okay, who has the highest number on the table? All right. You pick one of the defenses that's available. So yeah, we, we changed it up a little bit in that way. Yeah. It let, it let you play the spread a little bit more. Like if you had like really great defenses, you might play like two really strong heroes. And also the order you're playing the heroes is the order you have to fight them, which added just like one more wrinkle <laughs> if you wanted to in your strategy for the game. So yeah, so for the co-op, we, first of all, Peter, I know you were really committed to the like idea of cooperating with each other. Like, so, yes. so what, what kind of cooperative ideas did we have? Like, as we thought about how to do a co-op mode for this game. So we were trying to think of games that did co-op, like drafting, deck building pretty well. I mean, nobody really does like a draft draft and didn't make sense here either to do a draft the way we had described before, because you're all on the same team. So you're trying to win together. So we're trying to think of other card games that had really neat ways of drafting or doing things. And one that kept coming up was Battle for Greyport. Which is one of our favorite battle games. This had a newer crowdfunding campaign. It's, it's from the people who do Red Dragon Inn, but this is a cooperative like town defense game. So a couple things we took from there, and again, there was a little bit of shifting back and forth in there, but a couple things we took were, number one, how do we get our defenses? So we started with the defenses. It's like, oh, well, let's go to a certain point value, because that's kind of what Greyport does in reverse, where they get a certain number of point values of enemies, and if they go over, then they just get the overage. And that's originally where we were as well. And I I do want to talk to you. (laughs) This will be a little bit of our live design notes here about potentially going back to that a little bit. So originally we were like, okay, we'll set a number of points of defenses you get. And then if you go over, you go over. And the thought process, the logic behind it is when you go over in something like Greyport, it's like, oh man, I just got bad luck. Now I have to face extra enemies and you feel bad about it. But if you get the extra stuff, If you go over on a positive way where your defenses, you get more defenses than you're supposed to, then the thought process is, oh, this is a good thing. Mm. And so people will be happier with their luck rather than being unsatisfied. They'll be even more satisfied. So if it's going to be swingy, let's make it swingy toward helping players. And and there's a psychology behind it. And I mean, Jerry talks about this all the time with Arkhamhara LCG, which you talked about earlier. If you had had a number like two and you're trying to reach a goal of five and all those counters that came out were positive and like a positive three was like a zero, basically like net neutral, then you wouldn't feel as bad. I think about the draws, whereas if you have five and your goal number is two 
and you draw negative three, you feel like garbage. Because it's like, oh man, I had it, and then I don't have it anymore. So it's almost like a fear of loss. Now in that game, intentionally, like it's creating this sense of dread, right? Yeah. yeah. But a lot of times you want your players to have a a positive feeling. So I think in Greyport, it's a little bit negative. I mean, it doesn't bother me that much. I mean, I've certainly talked about it first. I'm like, wait a minute, this isn't (laughs) like... But also, Greyport is super limited in the spread of values. Like Correct. Almost every monster is a one or a two. So really, the worst that's going to happen is that you'll have one point over your monster. Like, you'll have five points instead of four, which isn't, like, the worst thing in the world. Right. Exactly. So we were trying to kind of figure out, like, we, we looked at the game mechanics. How do you, like, replicate? First of all, how do you make the experience work in a cooperative space? So as Peter said, you can't really draft the heroes because drafting is inherently a competitive activity. Like I, like I don't know any cooperative games that have drafting because you're trying to like take things you don't want the other person to get, you know, and like build up your engine. And then we also weren't sure how to get the defenses. Cause if you're not drafting bidding is also like bidding is another one. Like you don't do bidding in cooperative games because you never want to outbid each other. So we, we tried to solve the, the defense thing by just counting up to this number which, you know, it sounds like we're still working on, but this this is an in-progress design, by the way, so things will change. And then I, I think, were we thinking of Mega Man Adventures when we did the defense thing? Like, or sorry, the heroes? Or... No, we were thinking about um, Biblios. Oh! Wait, how does, it, how does it relate to Biblios? So in Biblios, you get, uh, like, there's one player who is, like, the player that that is, like, handing out cards. And they yes. take one card at a time, and they could keep it for themselves, give it to the other uh, another player at the that's table, right, or put right. it in the middle. And so we were like, oh, what if we had a middle pile of heroes that we could defeat together to make more cooperative? Because that also came from Battle for Greyport. We like being able to fight together. But it's like, yeah. well, maybe you have your own heroes that you got to deal with, but you also have this pile in the middle to deal with. And so that came in pretty early in the design as well. And it's like, well, how do we get those? Well, why don't we do a Biblio style, where you keep one for yourself, you pass one to each player, and then you put one in the middle. Um, now, it's evolved from that a little bit, but that was the original idea, at least anyway. Yeah, and so this is a, I think it's, from the bit we've played so far, I think it's a cool kind of cooperative element, which Biblios is not. Biblios is also a competitive game, but now you're still sort of drafting cards to other players, assigning them to other players. These are the, the heroes that are trying to kill the other players, but the defenses come first, which is the opposite of the competitive dark dealings. We Again, we're we're kind of like, we can do whatever we want with this cooperative mode. Right. <laughs> Why don't we just like mess around with things? So I can see what you have when I give you a hero. It's like, oh, you can totally handle this like blue hero. You, you got a lot of blue defenses to kill him with. So it's kind of up the... Now, now it is limited communication. You're not like telling people what you're giving them. Right, so, so they don't I, know I, that they I can might, handle it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I might give Peter a hero that he can kill with this one defense, but Jerry might give him the, a hero that needs the exact same defense. Yes. We don't know. So it's still like some chaos there, but yeah, I've, I've really liked it uh, so far in the plays we've done kind of the, the changing of a draft into like a cooperative assigning of things. Like I know you can take this and often what we'll do the, the middle pile, uh, I think was also your idea, Peter from Greyport. I thought it was a, a genius idea because that's where I tend to put the most dangerous people. I'm like, I don't know who the heck can kill this hero. Right. Put him in the middle. We'll all deal with them together. <laughs> we'll all combine our forces. <laughs> and I don't always do that, ironically, because we've played quite a bit. I mean, the nice part about the way this uh, co- cooperative mode's working is it's pretty quick. I mean, even on Tabletop Simulator, we're getting games in 20 minutes or less. And it feels satisfying. Like, I'm super happy 
at the end of it. And then we've also figured out a way to make it so that you could play like a series of games and like kind of get an overall score if you'd rather do that as well. So you could play it as one-offs in each game you win or lose, but then we've, we figured out a way to combine those. Um, and again, it's all up in the air right now, although we're, I feel like we're getting pretty close to being done. Yeah. Well, I guess it'll, you, you still haven't shared the feedback from the playtesters yet, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah, so Mike says, uh, the psychology in gaming is amazing. Being able to use feelings as part of the game is very clever. Yeah, and I mean, again, I think generally the goal is to make your players feel smart, to make them feel clever, and to give them positive feelings as much as you can. Certainly, depending on how hard you want your game to be or whether you want your game to have this sense of dread, but some people just don't like that. You know, it's everybody's going to be different, though. And and that's the other interesting part of the psychology as well. Not everybody wants that. Some people go, oh, this game felt too easy or maybe this game's too swingy or whatever else. Mm. But Matt Leacock and we have an interview with him very early on in the podcast and he used this term and I really like it. It's the cone of possibilities. So he talks about like at the beginning of the game, it's a very narrow cone, right? Like you have what you have and like it's kind of almost on rails a lot of games for the first couple turns. But every turn, especially in cooperative games, there's more and more bad stuff that can happen or there's more and more good stuff that can happen. So this, it like varies. The variance becomes more and more after each round as you go throughout a game. And some games have a very narrow cone of possibility, meaning you're going to be on those rails most of the time. Nobody's going to get too hurt too bad or nobody's going to get helped too much. But depending on what you want your game to feel like, you can make that cone of possibilities as wide or as narrow as you want and just know that, you know, if you introduce more swinginess, that might create excitement for some people, but annoyance for other players. Yeah. So we sort of, and and these things are, I think, things that aren't going to change as much. We sort of figured out a way for, so we didn't talk much about the central pile, but we wanted players to fight with each other. And again, Greyport has this really great kind of simultaneous, everyone can play a card to fight monsters together mechanic. So like Peter said, you have this central pile. So you're fighting heroes in front of you, central pile. And we played around with different formats of this. What we ended up liking the best was a back and forth. So I fight a hero in front of me. Everyone's doing this simultaneously. Then we flip up one hero and we all fight him together. Back to our own pile of heroes, back to the simultaneous that felt like it kind of kept people focused on each other, but also kept the play brisk. Well, and the other benefit is uh, alpha player. It, it cut down on alpha yeah. player because if we're all fighting our own heroes simultaneously, I can't. So, so what would typically happen in, in a game where you got a pile of four heroes in front of you that you, if, if you just fought all four of them in a row, what could happen is the best player could kill their four heroes in like 10 mm-hmm. seconds. And the newest player might still be looking at the first hero and being like, how do I deal with this? Yeah, so that's less alpha player. That's more like experience and pacing. Right. But for the alpha player side of things, you know, when we played around with every player fighting all their personal heroes first and all that's left is a central pile, you get to a solvable puzzle. Well, not quite solvable because there's still some like hidden heroes. You're not sure what order they're going to come out in. But you get to more of a solvable puzzle, whereas by switching back and forth between the players and like the central thing, you're never quite sure what you need to keep. You're never quite sure like what the other players should be spending it's tough to out you know one of the the banes of alpha players when your group has that syndrome is more hidden information right and more randomization and it's it's not there's not a correct move because i don't know what's coming next (laughs) you know like that's that's how you stop most alpha players and and i'm not saying by the way we've talked about this in other podcasts i I don't personally 
worry much about alpha player because it's not a big part of my game groups. I think that is a very game group specific thing. Right. But whenever you can, as a cooperative player, whenever you can, or, or cooperative designer, I should say, whenever you can easily get rid of it with just a slight tweak, I'd say why not, right? You're just making a better experience for a larger group of uh, gaming-like personalities and all that. Yeah. All right, so we get into the feedback section. Is there anything else you wanted to cover about where we're at right now? And maybe we'll talk about, uh, and just so you guys get a live look in at how we deal with feedback. Watch me rage and tear up my hair. Um, (laughs) And we're not going to do it for very long, because Mike and I could talk for hours about one piece of feedback and like (laughs) go on for a long time. We're not going to do that tonight. We'll just give you a quick 10 to 15 minute look in on how we deal with it, how we go about it, how we go back and forth. Um, but did you have anything else you want to talk about, like where we've come yeah, so, so far? Yeah, so the last mechanic I think is kind of, and this is, again, I think, I, well, I forget whose idea it was. It's not really worth worrying about. Something I think is really cool and kind of shows like design in action was the idea of lives. So first of all, we have three defenses in the core game of Dark Dealings that after we designed the game, we were like, ah, we don't like these very much. They're well, the weakest actually, one. They're literally, oh. I, I thought about why though. And, and this goes back to what we talked about earlier. The game used to be, Last person standing. Yes. And so they were actually good back then. Because what they yes, do they is were, they, were. they take a hero and they put it on the bottom of your pile and then you have to draw a new one. So you don't have to deal with that hero right now. The problem is we went from last person standing to a game where it's how many times do you get defeated? It's almost like lives, like how many heroes broke through. So it doesn't matter if it's at the top or the bottom. If you can't deal with it, you can't right. deal with it. So it, become, it became a lot worse. And in fact, we talked to Brian from Nevermore at the time that we made that change. And we're like, can we change these cards? The art's good. Can we change the text on the cards? And because it was so quickly after the first release, he let us change the rules, but wouldn't let us change that card. Yeah. So Which, became- you know, I understand. I'm not saying it's even the wrong choice. I get why he wanted to keep things consistent in like a very quick turnaround, like second edition of the game. It was, it was a second printing, not a second edition in a way. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But yeah, so anyway, so we had these defenses that at least in the current version of the game are kind of crud. And then we we had the problem. This is similar to the competitive problem that we identified in the original version of the game that we fixed with the expansion where it's not fun to be out of the game early. It's not fun to be eliminated. Like games still do player elimination, but it is so much less than it used to be. Like all of you who are as old as Peter and I are older, you know how many games back in the day would just be like, yep, you're dead. Watch your friends play for two hours. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, in games like, like Civ and stuff like that, they're like yeah. seven to ten hour games or Monopoly even. Um, yeah, well, I was going to say Monopoly, Risk, you know, like classic yeah. games. We're just like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yep. So we had a sort of different problem here with uh, Cooperative, but it's still a very negative experience in a game like Dark Dealings where – you can have heroes you just can't defeat. Like, none of you have the right color defense to kill them. So we were like, do you just lose the game then? Like, what happens? So Peter had the kind of the one-two punch idea of having lives. Yep. Okay, so like you can basically, or, or you know, think of them as like backup traps because they immediately defeat a hero. Like, the hero goes away instead of killing you. So you'd have like these lives and you could use them. And, we, and to mark them... <laughs> yeah, and Mike James says access analysis is bad for that. Oh my gosh, I played so many games access analysis, and yeah, like, <laughs> sitting around when like England had been conquered early—that was great. <laughs> but yeah, so, so Peter was like, "Hey, why don't we take the three defenses that we hate? Because we didn't want to have any extra components for this. We wanted to make it like component agnostic of the original game, right? 
Uh, why don't we take those? And those can mark the lives you have. So now we won't have these dumb defenses in the deck. And we have a way to like show how many lives. And then we just... So at first they were just... They were going to be a difficulty setting. And here's another like, kind of interesting sided design. We were like, hey, how about players can choose how many lives they want to play with okay so like on hardcore they have zero lives on harder not as hard they have one life and on easy mode they have three lives and we were going with that for a while and that that still would have worked fine but uh we had the very good idea in our last night of play testing just a slight reframing again it's kind of like when i said with difficulty uh how if you like call it introductory mode it's much easier for people to like kind of stomach it a slight reframing we were like hey how about you try not to use your lives because that's your score. You know, a lot of games will have like a three-star performance or a two-star performance or a one-star performance. So the cleaner you get through the battle, the cleaner the players cooperatively defeat the heroes without needing to dig into their lives to survive, the higher their score. Like each life that's left is kind of like a star on that like gold, silver, bronze performance. Which again, I think it's just, you know, I, I think it was your idea, Peter. I think it's really clever. Like it's, it's the same kind of thing, but now you don't feel bad. Pretty much any, like I can play with my kids and we'd probably still survive. We just wouldn't have any lives left and it would be like a quote unquote bad store, score, but they'd have a good time. Yep. Whereas like a hardcore player could be like, screw it. The second we get a life gone, we're restarting. Like we're not, we're not going to lose any lives, <laughs> you know, like they could do that if they wanted to. Yeah, and part of this came from, actually, uh, what was that polyomino game that was based on the tower defense game? Kingdom Rush? Kingdom Rush, yes. So Kingdom Rush didn't That's do right. this. they did it the same thing. They, they basically said, you know, do you want to play with one, two, or three lives? And after I lost my one life, I was like, well, I guess I'm playing with two lives now, right? Because <laughs> like, I didn't want to stop playing. Even though I oh, yeah, yeah. So, quote, so, unquote, so Kingdom lost. Rush did it in a dumber way. Yes, you're right. You're right. Because they would say, like, at the start of the game, say what your difficulty is. Are you going to have, like, four shields or eight shields? You know, like, how, how much damage can you take of enemies getting through your defenses? And Peter's right. What, what was way easier, and I think it should have been the way they did it originally, it's more what we're talking about, where it's just like, hey, if you let nobody through, you get a gold star. If you let one group through, you get a bronze, you know, like whatever. Silver, bronze. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So instead, they force you to choose at the beginning, but then whatever. If you suddenly realize, whoops, we lost. No, we did it. <laughs> We're playing on an easier difficulty now. Right. The game would allow you to do that, but it was just, again, like the framing of it and how they kind of presented it. Well, and yes, I mean, okay, that so- was lesson learned. And again, that's, this is what design's all about. And I think that's why this design journal is fun. Look, we're not saying that we have the right answers here. We're saying these are our observations from what we've seen and liked and didn't like in games. And this is how we are reframing it and trying to change it to make it better. And that's what design is. It's iteration on other designs. As you've seen, all these design ideas, I mean, except for the combat, which was pretty unique, you know, and which is kind of... Yeah, that's like literally still the only thing we haven't touched, even in this mode. (laughs) It's basically the same thing. Yeah. So beside the combat, literally everything else has been iteration on somebody else's ideas and it's like i really like this idea here but what if we did this to make it a little bit better and and this is a reason that one of the biggest a piece of advice i would give to any designer or aspiring designer and it's similar to what people say to like people who want to work in movies people who want to write books you know like immerse yourself in the hobby and what other people are doing as much as possible not to be derivative, I would hope that none of our designs are considered derivative. Like, you can see influences there. Like, clearly, Dark Dealings had some influence from For Sale for some of the mechanics. 
Mega Man Adventures. We were, you know, vaguely inspired by Marvel United. It's not really. Although it has, no, it looks nothing like Marvel United. No, no. Well, actually, uh, wait, goes. It, it looks more like the other Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, the, the TMNT uh, yeah. adventure game from what was it? The one that doesn't have a game division anymore. IDW. Oh, fun. oh IDW. Yeah. So, so if you play a lot of games, you'll just get immersed in like a lot of the cool mechanics, and they, they keep on coming up with things. So. I think Peter and I become better designers since we've been doing the the YouTube channel and the podcast and all of that, just because in the reviewing, we're playing way more games than we ever have before. We're being exposed to more mechanics. That, that's one reason that I like am a weirdo and like to read rule books. I just like to kind of be like, oh, that's a cool way of doing things. That's a fun. Oh, that, that seems kind of weird. You know, I don't know if I agree with that. But anyway. that's why we started the podcast, honestly, in that's the first right. place was because we're like, you know what? If we're going to be designing games and we're going to focus on co-op games, Let's really do it and get in and play all the co-op games there are to play. And we'll talk about it anyway. So may as well record our talking about it. I mean, the the design process got formalized pretty quickly with our top five lists and stuff like that. But the original idea was just to like talk about the games that we've been playing lately and try to come up with design concepts from them. And that's why to this day, we always have our design discussions at the end mm-hmm. is really this feedback. And that's how our game nights go, too. We'll play a game and then not as much anymore because we do try to save a lot of it for the podcast, but we'll definitely discuss like, oh man, that mechanic's really good if only they had done this with it or whatever else. Well, I mean, yeah, we had some of those recently, like the combat system in Trudvang Legends. And like, yeah. it's a great combat system. Let's see that in a better game. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, that's definitely a game I would love to see that combat system lifted. And again, we have two or three games in the hopper right now. But if nobody uses it in three to five years, maybe we'll go back to it and revisit it. Because I do think that was fun. We both love bag builders. We've talked about building ba- or making bag builders before. And I just love how mm-hmm. they combine that with random cards and stuff. But anyway. We digressed a little yeah. bit. Did you want to do a feedback session here? I don't know. I feel well, like let me hear it. Let me hear it a little bit. It's, a, it's been an hour, so we'll keep it quick. But yeah, so, so Peter played. Who'd you play with? You played Nick. with some of our Discord members, right? It was, it was just Nick. So we just played some oh, two-player just, games. Okay. Yep. And he actually owns the base game, and he has played our solo mode for it quite a bit. Yeah. Um, so he was experienced at it. So again, it's a little hard to get too much feedback on difficulty and stuff when you're only playing with people who are very experienced. Certainly these, yeah. that's why these are early play tests. You play with people who know the game and go, Oh, I like this better about this, or I like this worse. So honestly, early play tests, I do like to keep a little bit more internal, just you and me or you, me and somebody who knows our games pretty well, or, you know, we, it's more of a controlled environment, but the longer into play testing we go, the more and more I want people that, have never seen our game or that we know nothing yeah. about to play it. And that way they can help us tighten up the rules and difficulty and stuff like that. So I do think all are important, but for me earlier on, I want like other designers and things like that early. And then people we don't know at all, like people who aren't as into games as we are or as designers are to look at it because uh, I think it's important to get their feedback as well. Before Peter tells me what Nick had to say, it's good for us to remind everybody about some good rules of taking feedback. Know what you want from the feedback. So like if you're just looking for game balance, then ask them to talk about the game balance and don't ask them to give you like crazy ideas for redesigning the entire game. Take things with a grain of salt and be willing to smile and say thank you and then ignore something entirely. But also listen and try to find like the underlying suggestions and maybe causes behind something so that you 
can find like ways to make your game better. So with all that being said, how the uh, playtest go with Nick, uh, two player? Well, and something I should also add to that is if you're designing with a partner, record it as best you can. Because you'll see right here, I'm going to be giving an interpretation of what somebody else said instead of letting Mike listen to it for himself and being able to form his own own opinion. Say, no, that's not what I think he said there. So now I'm giving like third hand whatever of the feedback. So as far as the games go, they went great. We played two full games at different difficulties, like our normal or introductory difficulty, and then the, the next level down harder. We got through the first one. No, we might have even played three, actually. I think we lost no lives the first time we played. That's uh, great. Well, we, were, we were trying to make it easy modes or more introductory modes, so I'm glad that's possible. <laughs> and then as we, we got more difficult, we lost two lives the second time. And then I think we played that, that second level again and lost one life the third time through. Nice. But something we tried the third time through, because something that bothered both of us a little bit, and it honestly had bothered me a little bit before, and I kind of mentioned it to you, but I was waiting for other people's feedback. And also, we were on different sides of the coin on this. But Nick said that he was a little bit annoyed with like adding up the defenses mm. while you're like drawing them and adding and drawing and adding and then trying to figure out the exact number. He felt yeah. that part was a little fiddly. And, and a little bit in my mind, I thought that too. And so what we tried the last time is we drew 10 defenses and then got down and then traded one and then got down to the number, whatever the number was for that. Okay. Round. And I know your fear was, well, what if you don't get however many points? I think at that point, then you just draw up to the number. Okay. You know what I mean? If you just get totally unlucky with 10 defenses you get nothing that was good and i even think you can go over at that point too like who cares sure so because right now we're trying to get to the exact number which i I still think i don't mind us going over the number like if we're both over a little bit and then we pass um and then we just lower the number a little bit right so instead of being 25 the number could be 23 or 22 or whatever else we find a new number that's a little bit lower that if people hit it they don't realize that it's bad for them, right? <laughs> like, they just think, oh, yeah, that's the number I'm supposed to get to. And if they get more, it feels really good. Yeah. Where it might be a little bit more challenging on the lower end, but we balance it for that number. And then if they get more, it'll be a little bit easier for them. But I don't, again, I, I know our numbers go one to six. So there is a potential for a five point swing in values. I don't know that the sixes are that much better in cooperative because the sixes yeah. tend, tend to be those heavy hitting cards. That, like, mess you up in other ways, too. Yes. Well, so I guess uh, the thing I would say, and this is for all the the designers out there, focus on what you can. Uh, This all sounds like a little bit like semantics of, like, the counting, and we can just, like, play around with what the best way to do that is. None of the stuff you're saying sounds bad. Was there anything in, like, the core giving heroes to each other, fighting the heroes, like, all the core mechanics how you get defenses that all went great no all that went great yeah the play was fun and it's amazing because we must have played five different games the night before trying to get the numbers down and like trying to figure out exactly how we want to draft and i'll be honest at the beginning of those plays i was having less fun than i was having at the end which is always a good sign because a lot of times the more like if you're playing five times in a night your game you just never want to see it again at the end of that yeah. I was so excited. I immediately went on and posted, hey, does anybody want to play over the next couple of days? Got some responses for people who did on our Discord and like found a game the very next night. 
I, I was super excited to play all three games that we played. Um, the first two, again, we just changed the difficulty a little bit. It's like, well, maybe we got lucky the first time, you know, not losing any lives. Let's see what happened if we ramp up the difficulty and try it again. And then after that, I was like, all right, Nick, what's your feedback? And his big thing was he didn't like the counting up of the cards. Yep. He's like, it was just a yep. little fiddly. And I said, okay, well, let's, let's work on how do we, how do we make that part of the game better? Because here's the other thing that you might find. If you change that part of the game, you may be re- either required to change another part of the game. Like it may totally mess up something you do later. Or when you fix that part of the game, the other parts of the game might not look as good. They just look yep. good because you were so focused on this, like, I don't know, if somebody's got a big zit on the middle of their nose, right? You might not notice whatever else they got going on. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this one thing's, like, yeah. staring you in the face, and it's masking other potential problems. Yeah, and that's, uh, I talked a moment ago about, like, root causes and how it's, I think, the designer's job when taking feedback to dig for a root cause instead of taking a comment at face value. Now, that's not against what Nick's saying, because I do think it's kind of obvious that it's sort of fiddly to count up numbers. So that's, <laughs> it's not like there's some secret root cause underneath all of that that means the game's actually not as fun as we think. Right. But yeah, like if what Peter's talking about with interlocking mechanics, y- you as a designer know your game better than anybody else. Well, sometimes. And uh, <laughs> sometimes you get that play tester who knows your game way better than you do. And sometimes you get too close to it too, right? Yes. And, and like you can definitely miss your own flaws and somebody playing for, sure. for the very first time could point something so obvious out to you. And we've seen it. What was that one City of Remnants game, right? Like there was a oh, busted loop that the designers didn't see because, you know, they played it a certain way and they, you know, you get this group thing going on and it's like, oh, okay, the game's great. And then somebody or or that, that one game with the broken strategy, the head-to-head Oh, deck builder. Uh, the, the Halifax Hammer. Yeah, yep. Acres is now. Yeah, so like you don't see it because you're like, oh, why would I ever do that? It doesn't make sense. But then somebody does it, and it's like, oh, wait, that's clearly broken. So as a designer, you can be too close to your own stuff too, yeah. and that's why you need outside playtesting. Yes. And yeah, if, if you're a Peter and I just talking about, if you can find like a Discord or a group on Facebook or something that has people that are willing to playtest, that's an amazing thing. And then if you can learn how to use a tabletop simulator, it's not that bad. We, we taught ourselves. Yep. Um, if you can learn how to do that, if you can learn how to make like very basic cards you can port in a tabletop simulator, it does open up an amazing world of playtesting, which is so hard, especially back in the day. One iteration like is so <laughs> much easier and yeah, cost is like so much to, lower. There's so many we, benefits. We, we used to print out physical prototypes and send them to people. But then if like something was bad and we had to like reiterate it, we'd have to either ask them to print everything out again and cut it. That's not great, you know, or mail and, them like updated versions. Ugh, it's a nightmare. And, and asking 150. Pl- Look, if it's if it's a game like Dark Dealings, which is literally 250 card, four card decks. OK, fine. That's like, I don't know how many pieces of paper, 12 p- sheets of paper. Like anybody can do that. That's not a hard ask for people to do. To, to print these 12 sheets of paper and cut them and whatever. But if you got I mean, game, that, I mean, you just said 12 sheets of paper, cutting nine cards from each paper, and then probably like sleeving them all. You know, that is, that is a lot, even when right. it's only 12. But I mean, even for me, that's like a half hour work and super easy sure. when you compare it to like some of the other stuff we've done. Oh my gosh. Like yes, spare yes, yes. parts. And we asked 150 people to cut that out, print it out, and they did. But like, gosh, if we knew Tabletop Simulator back then, you just get people to get on and play. And, and there's very little 
invested. And I think there there's pros and cons to people being invested. Number one, they're probably not just going to play your game once if they spend all that time printing it and cutting it and doing everything. Yes. But I also think they're going to be a little bit more attached to it and a little bit more likely to give positive feedback because they've spent so much. Now, maybe it's the opposite. Maybe they get super yeah, angry. So, 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 sometimes they, spent... they can get like too hyper-focused on the game and give like oddly specific feedback that probably <laughs> wouldn't matter to the average yes. player. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> like it, it can go both ways. We, we've definitely seen that as well. It's a really interesting process. And so... We wanted to give you just a look in tonight. This was definitely not meant as a shill or anything like that. Like, hey, look at our game. People do design journals all the time. We hadn't done one, but it's really, this is what we would have probably done tonight anyway. We wouldn't have retold the story of everything, but we would have sat here and talked about the feedback, talk where we've come so far, and talk about solutions. So this is just a little glimpse of, of how we do things. And, you know, people have asked us before. But the best way to see it, I think, is, you know, what we did tonight is kind of get a live look in at it. Yeah. And what's kind of weird, Peter, is that this process is a bit more similar to what I do with like the solo variants I make, usually like just talking to you about them or not talking to you at all about them, right. <laughs> you know, like for other people's games, because like we already have a game and we're just like iterating on ways to change it and modify it to be something a little bit different. But the thing is, that's design in general. Once you get over that initial hump of like having a game that is a skeleton of what you might want it to be, you know, yeah. like you do have that kind of creation of something from nothing in the initial stages, but eventually you get to where it's just iterating, you know, where it's just like, ah, let's try this mechanic instead. Ah, it didn't work. All right, let's try this, you know, or, okay, these things are unbalanced. Let's get rid of those. Let's mess around with like cards. So there's these like stages you progress through and at some point it does, it's kind of indistinguishable whether you're making a solo variant for somebody else's game or making a new cooperative variant for your own game like we're doing or making an expansion for a game that's already or designed. Or even just sending away the rough edges. Exactly, exactly. Or, or just doing the development of your own game that's like the first time you're doing anything with it. All, all those things tend to have sort of indistinguishable features from one another once you're deep enough into the design and once it's past that, like barely recognizable as a game stage, <laughs> you know, which is the ugliest part. And I still find the hardest part. Like we've got several infant designs in our folders, like with ideas and things, but we haven't made something that can be put on a table yet, you know, or even put on a tabletop simulator mod yet. I think the two hardest things are the first initial getting something together to put it yeah. on paper but honestly, this is the hardest part for me too. Like the end stage where like it's you the just the first 10% and the last 10%. Yeah. yeah. The, the worst parts of design are getting something to the point where you can actually like play it and put it in front of somebody. And then the very last part of the design when you are iterating on cards and trying to make sure your rules don't have any errors and trying to make sure that each version of the cards is in the right way and trying to make sure that all your text matches up and rereading like narrative passages looking for grammatical errors like oh and you you rename something so now you got to check everything not yeah, just the rule book, but every single card that's out there it's not events anymore it's uh it's it's instances and now you got right. oh, we're, oh. oh this file oh wait this isn't even the right file anymore we never looked at this file right we never looked at this file <laughs> yeah we looked iterating? at we looked at every other file but this one somehow we missed 10 times like why is this scenario still in the old formatting, we did we yeah. change every all other these scenario. But are very one. close because all these things are happening with the game we're self-publishing right now. <laughs> yes, yes, all so of it like, has oh, literally yes. just happened. And uh, 
Mike's a non-capitalizer and I'm a capitalizer, so we have different formatting. So I'll like capitalize when it's like event card. It'll be both words will be capitalized. Uh, whereas but Mike, then, then we'll have like three files that Peter did and three files that I did, and they won't yeah. have it all the same. Yes, yes. So that's that's some of the the cons, I guess, of working with a, a partner that's as sure. dumb as me and hasn't figured out not to capitalize things at this point yet. But but anytime you introduce other people, like when you have a graphic designer in the mix, if you have a publisher in the mix, you know, if you have a co-designer in the mix, like you're at some point, unless you are literally doing everything yourself, and a few people do that and make great games doing it, and power to them, but. At some point, you're going to have other people's hands in the pots and you got to just find ways to check each other and verify each other and <laughs> have checklists and check cross, yourself, you know, check yourself before you wreck yourself. That's right. Or your game. Exactly. All, All right. right. That was fun. Yeah. I, I did not know. I, honestly, we had no form. I, I, I know you guys can't tell, but we come in with like no formatting. Everybody's like, oh, let's talk about our show notes. And they're like reading through. We don't do show notes. Like we just kind of go with where we feel. And I feel like this went way better than I thought it was going to go. I, I had no idea, honestly, at the beginning. See, and, and it went way worse than I thought it was going to go. So there you go. Different opinions. <laughs> right. Glass half full. Peter's a, a butthead. You know? <laughs> as my son says every glass is all the way full because th- there's something in there there's air like oh, in the other half of the glass so fair it's all enough, the way fair full. enough my, my, and my yeah, daughter's yeah. an all the way empty i'm like how's it all the way empty if there's something in she's like it's just always empty <laughs> like okay you, you, your daughter is a burgeoning like existentialist you know like yes. nothing matter or a nihilist nothing matters we're all just <laughs> moving dust in the wind meetings. yeah exactly <laughs> All we are is dust in the wind. I know. Ending on Kansas, always a Kansas. I think it's Kansas. <laughs> I, you're probably right. You... Verify in the chat. Did Kansas sing "Dust in the Wind"? Discuss. <laughs> All right, Mike. Well, thank you so much. This was fun. It was just funny because this is what we always do. But it, it was fun reliving the the story of dark dealings because it's been a while since we've talked and, about it and i mean apparently because i i got it confused with another one of our games <laughs> yes oh my god i'm like what are you talking about when you were going to the yeah, Cold I wars like, i was like i was like i'm pretty sure he's talking about spare parts but i'm just gonna let you go and i'm glad you got there i wasn't gonna contradict you you're like you weren't part of that i was like i'm pretty sure i was like at the beginning i remember you it's definitely aliens you're like you're gonna put up turrets and you can have your own gun and your people can move around and do all these things it was definitely gonna be more spatial at first and then we definitely abstracted it down a little bit but uh yeah it was gonna be more lane defense tower defense um originally yeah hey hey nothing lame about this all right so ryan confirmed it's kansas michael newsom wants a full kansas sing-along stream what's another kansas song did they do uh more than a feeling more than a feeling. More than a feeling. <laughs> I am believing. They did long. They did like that song, "Long Time." That's all I got. For 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 a similar band, I'm more of a Bread fan myself. Do you, you know Bread, Peter? I do not know Bread. Bread did. I want to make it with you. You know that song? No, I do um, not. <laughs> how's that go? Uh, I want to make it with you. I really feel that we could make it go. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, they had some good ones. They, they, uh, another good, my, my dad used to always play this one. Oh, crap. Ryan said that's Boston. That is Boston. He's right. More Boston than a feeling? Did, uh, yeah, yes. more than a feeling. That and, is definitely uh, Boston. Yes. Yeah, yeah. What the heck else did Kansas do? I mean, they were in the 80s. Well, they were a little before no. the 80s, but like, the 80s. I mean, everything uh, was a one hit wonder in the 80s. So, I mean, they weren't a no, they weren't a one hit wonder. Hold on, hold on. I, know. I had I had an album 
Oh God, they did, dude, dude. They did carry do, on my wayward son. Carry on my wayward son. There'll be, There'll peace, be peace when, when you, are, you gone. are gone. All right, our timing. They will be head, head to rest. Don't, Don't you, you cry, cry no more. more. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh god, we're not even like in time with each other. This is great. <laughs> oh no, 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 no. And I can't even like it used to be that I could fix the timing. I can't fix the timing anymore because this is like live recordings. So um yeah. sorry, Michael. Everyone blame Michael Newsom for or or thank him, depending on what your opinion of what just happened is. <laughs> <laughs> This would always also be in the after credits, and I'm just too lazy anymore. So this is just going right in here in the main show. Forget it. Shove it in, baby. Shove it in. Like, no, no shoving. Just don't delete it out. Don't move it. It's there. It's there. All right. Well, thank you. Hi, everybody. Thanks for (laughs) tuning in. (laughs) Bye. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop. Or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week for another Top 5 list. Hey, Mike. Yep. Can't touch this. No, 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 no. No, no. No, no. Can't touch this. Too legit. Yes, too legit to quit. Hey, hey, dude! I distinctly remember. I think this is a real thing. Again, if people are still in the chat, let me know. I feel like the music video in my childhood brain for "Too Legit to Quit" featured MC Hammer fleeing from a giant fireball. What? Like a giant fireball was chasing him, and he was had to escape it, and he was like too legit. To, to quit, quit running from, a, <laughs> from fireball. a fireball? Is it like Indiana Jones and the fireball? Yeah, yeah. I, oh my gosh. Like I gotta look this up now. I mean, All you, right. you can you can cut the stream. <laughs> We're right? gonna cut the stream. All right. Hey Mike. Radadukan! <laughs> <laughs> Not that guy. It was a big fireball. <laughs> okay.